Hello and welcome to the Unorganized and Lost podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, and I'm here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Today in the podcast, I have Brent Kokel. And let me tell you, I'm going to let him introduce himself because of how well he does and just kind of incredible how this guy is. Well, I've been saying my name. I've been saying my name for 43 years, so it's easy to introduce myself <laughs> when when I've been doing it for that long. And I read at a 12th grade level too, so it's absolutely <laughs> outstanding when we put those things together. But I'm excited to be on this show. Um, if you want background on me as it relates to what we talk about on this show, um, I've been an entrepreneur for almost two decades, and I have built three companies during that time that have all done over seven figures and multiple seven figures. I've done one exit on those companies and by no means was that like a direct shot. I think that you'd probably find people who thought that it was a direct shot because they don't see everything that happens beyond what kind of happens publicly in that context. But it is, uh, it's certainly a path that took a lot more, took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. And it certainly was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And most of that had to do with my own ego and thinking that I was going to accomplish things a hell of a lot faster than I did. So that's essentially <laughs> the rub. Love it. So if someone asks like, what's your, what's the title you give yourself currently? Persuasion Hitman. <laughs> so what what happens is is that companies hire me uh, to come in when they're having trouble selling what they sell, or marketing what they sell, or the offer itself. Because there's a number of different pieces. It's never just one thing that is the challenge for people to really get their sales up. Um, it is multiple things. So you've got to have an offer that allows you to charge between five times and 50 times what the next closest competitor in the marketplace charges. It's never about the race to the bottom. It is a race to the stratosphere when I work with people. We've got to have seductive marketing messages that like really grabs like the prospects by the balls or the ones in their eye sockets. And <laughs> we also need to have sales that helps us convert. And so when I come into companies, what we look to do is we increase the value perception of their offer so they can charge 50 or five to 50 times more than they're charging right now. We, in, we change their marketing. So we increase their leads by a hundred to 1300%. And then we increase their closing ratio in three months, 10 to 20%. And then I throw in an operational framework that increases profit by about 20% on average. That's incredible. So let's back up a little bit. So you're working with these huge companies, you're doing incredible things for them and you're changing their mindset and also all the different things they do with their business. How did you get there? What was, what was the step that made you even get into sales? Is that what you wanted to do? Is that what you started with? I think that when you, when you choose to become an entrepreneur, you are choosing to be in sales. You have no other choice to do that. And I think the misconception about it that I had when I started doing it was I was really good at the technical work. So um, it was the first company that I started and still own is a property management company. And I'd worked for another one and I was really good at doing the work and I thought oh, I can do this on my own. What I never realized when I was making that transition is that I was also making a transition in my job. It wasn't just the company because 
there's a difference between being good at running the business that does the technical work versus doing the technical work of the business. So mm -hmm. example of that, like if I was really, really good at fixing heating, ventilating and air conditioning units an HVAC guy, and I wanted to go start my own company, that wouldn't be my job anymore of fixing the HVAC units. It would be dramatically different and yeah, didn't recognize that. And so you naturally have no choice but to get into sales when your back is against the wall when you're starting out. And what it turned out and how I got into doing what I'm doing right now is a couple of things. The first of it was was an obsession. I was I became obsessed with understanding how value was perceived in the eyes of consumers, both in B2C and B2B. I was obsessed in how they received messages. I was obsessed with what their own psychology, the prospect psychology would think about the words that I said. I was obsessed about the different vehicles to which I could deliver these messages to the marketplace. And I was obsessed with getting higher closing ratios for myself. And so I would just try things and all like I've sold personally over 60 million in different products and services uh, over the course of my career. And all of those have been done either in person or over the phone. So oh. I had a lot of direct interactions where I was always like looking for this thing where it was like the point where I either made it or I didn't make it. And that allowed me like that obsession and that experience allowed me to build out frameworks that I use now to help other people. So yeah. having, having the obsession, then just going all in on testing this stuff on mm -hmm. different products that I have, because um, it's like, it's by no means do I hit it out of the park every single time. Like I've had some really, really massive ego checks where I thought something was going to work really, really well. And it ends up costing me hundreds of thousands of dollars out of my pocket because I just missed something in the, mm -hmm. the marketplace or I didn't have the skill yet. Mm -hmm. That's really it. It's like my skills stopped me in a couple different spots, but having those things put together. Um, and then uh, what I found was that I've got, I've been gifted this, the way that I describe it to people is remember in the first matrix movie when it's like the very end and the agent finds Neo in whatever room he's in and shoots a 50 caliber bullet right into his chest. And then Neo's like, no, fuck that. I'm good. Like I can make this. <laughs> he walks out into the hallway and he sees everything in the codes Mm -hmm. I look at somebody's business and I see it in codes. That's amazing. So much of the problem is, is it's like they, if you've ever been looking for your sunglasses and you're like, I have no idea where my sunglasses are. And then mm -hmm. somebody else sees them and they say, they're on top of your head. <laughs> That's exactly Absolutely. the thing, right? So most of yeah. the time it's helping people see the unseen. Awesome. So what made you realize that you wanted to help other businesses with this? Because obviously it became an obsession for you for your own businesses and things like that. Was it the intrigue to see if you could do it? Or is it you're like, okay, this is another way for me to make money. And then you ended up really enjoying it. Or what kind of led you down that path as well? It was a search for joy that led mm -hmm. me down this path. Because what I, what I had come to realize was that in the different entrepreneur groups that I was in, um, people were coming to me 
with their questions about their offers, about their marketing, about their sales, and a lot of times about their operations. And I'd sit down and I'd meet with them just because they were part of the same group. And I had so much fun working on just their unique problems and trying to solve those. And because I just experienced so much joy in that, that joy and that energy translated into a desire to work directly with other companies in more of a professional context rather than, hey, you're my buddy, you're part of this thing, come on over, let's fix this. And plus I started seeing the results that people were getting with this mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm like, man, I gave that to you for free? Like, wait a second. <laughs> You know, like I had one guy that um, he was what he was like around 2.5 million in top line. And he and I met three times and he ended up doing 4 million in the next six months. Wow. And a lot of that, it's, it's a lot of that has to do with the market that he was in. Mm -hmm. And all I really did was help him see a different way to package what he was offering that allowed that to uh, to happen. And so I saw that and that was one of my like, oh, aha, wait a second, man, your shit works. Maybe yeah. other people would benefit from this. And the clients, there, there's a thing, it's like in consulting, it's they pay more attention the more that they pay for the advice. Oh, wow. And it's So it's interesting where the the lower the threshold of pain for them so let's say that i only charged them like 30 grand mm -hmm. they're gonna sit there and be like well we don't give a shit like Interesting. we lost it whatever it's no big deal yeah but i push like and in my marketing videos i straight tell people before we get on a sales call that they're going to be shocked at how much i'm going to charge them <laughs> but they're going to make a lot more money than they pay me Wow. And because of that, and part of that is one, because I understand the value of what I do. Two mm -hmm. is they will get more out of it, the higher fees that they pay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're more the intense sure. about it. And mm -hmm. they will sit there and they'll put more people on it. They'll do oh, wow. what we talk about doing, which helps me too, because I guarantee the results that oh. I offer. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like when you sign up with the offer that I have, there is a schedule of specific business outcomes that you will achieve uh, during the course of it. Or I work with you for free until you do. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I feel like there's there's all those people that and I've you know, I've been I've worked in big businesses and they have these things where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to change all these things. We're going to send people to conferences and all that. And then nothing changes and the business just stays neutral and when you're guaranteeing people that they're going to change but they're not making the change you told them to then it just it doesn't help anybody yeah 100 percent. discipline is the number one trait that you can have you can learn all of it that you want to learn but it's never going to do anything for you unless you've got the discipline personally and organizationally to execute on all of it absolutely so what is the i guess your favorite product that you've ever sold or is there ever a product that you didn't think was correct but you figured out the right packaging for it hmm i guess your biggest challenge with yeah so 
I think that, and it's kind of one and another, because I'll categorize this one as a failure, but it actually led to my biggest success. Um, and that was this apparel brand that I started. And mm-hmm. it was designed for outdoor muddy obstacle course racing athletes. So like Spartan Race and Tough Mudder before Tough Mudder got bought out by Spartan. And this was in 2015. And I'd done a ton of these races. And I thought, you know what? There's nobody that makes apparel specifically for this. I'm going to go do it. Never mind. I had zero experience in manufacturing a physical product or apparel or direct to consumer online uh, purchasing funnels. And that's exactly how I was going to deploy this product. So you can see how this was was destined for success as soon as I started. Plus, I was arrogant, like <laughs> so arrogant. And um, as it turns out, that's the lesson I needed was different than the one that I wanted. And I needed to be able to really, really dilute my ego. And this thing helped me out. Um, and what this was, was I created, and I thought that my problem was, is I thought I was getting into the clothing business mm-hmm. and I was really getting into the marketing business. And that led to the obsession with marketing that I talked about earlier, where I really had to figure this thing out in a new way. And I went and I made the best product that I possibly could. Like we made world-class products, um, in our second round of fulfillment, because in our first round of fulfillment, I couldn't get a designer or manufacturer to work with me. They just yeah. wouldn't. I, I had to call the same one. It was these the guys down in LA that fulfilled through China where I didn't want to fulfill through, uh, but it was the only thing I could do. I called them every single business day for three months. And I'm sure wow. they hated me because I'd leave messages all the time that said, hey, this is Brent. This is what I'm looking to get done. I'm going to call you again tomorrow but if you want to call me back in the meantime, here's my phone number. And I would do that day after day after day. And I think one time they just got sick of it. And so they picked up the phone. And I think <laughs> the reason for their hesitancy is that a lot of people that get into that industry are artists rather mm-hmm. than business people. And so when you do your first custom purchase order based on the MOQ, minimum order quantity, you're typically looking, depending on the number of styles that you do, anywhere between like 75 and 100,000. My first purchase order was 120,000. And that's where they were, they started to listen. Because I'm like, listen, I have got a briefcase of money that I will push across the table to you if you just make this stuff. And they did make it, they just didn't make it well because it was kind of the blind leading the blind. I didn't know how to design it. They didn't really know how to develop it for this specific type of application. And so that's it. But getting it done opened it up to a new manufacturer that was up in Portland. And these guys were world class. So we made our second round of apparel with all these designs. And really the inspiration behind it was we wanted to make everybody look like a superhero version of themselves. And so literally when we were designing this, we had old comic books like old Wolverine and old Wonder Woman and stuff like that up to get people to see what their like costumes looked like to accentuate the natural contours and make people look more physically intimidating and imposing because obstacle course racing was like a big look at me sport. You'd get a pictures from the Spartan race and oh, you yeah. filmed all your friends and shit like that. So we're looking <laughs> at how can we make these people look as good as they can while they're in as much pain as they will ever be. So <laughs> we make this and like the first round doesn't work. And so I tell myself like, okay, the product was shitty. That's why it's not working has nothing to do with the marketing, has nothing to do with me. It's just that the product is shitty. We're going to make new product. All right. 
So now we go in on another purchase order, another 180K out of pocket. This purchase order makes world-class product. They made our stuff in the same factory that they make Lululemon in, Nike Track and Field, and then this other thing called Skins, which is like this really expensive triathlon brand of compression apparel, like really tight stuff. And so we made amazing stuff. We made our own fabric. We dyed our own fabric. We cut our own own, um, patterns. We had our own sample room. Like we made this all, and it was amazing product. But it still wasn't selling. And I went through three different ad agencies because I didn't understand direct-to-consumer online purchasing. I didn't understand mm-hmm. funnels. I didn't understand advertising uh, at all. And what's funny is, is that, and that's part of what led me to what I do now, because I recognized all of these advertising agencies didn't know really about persuasion and influence. What they understood how to do was they tactically understood how to purchase ads on Facebook and Instagram. And Mm -hmm. then they were able in some respects to pay attention to the data and see what was working and what wasn't working. But they didn't understand persuasion and influence. And that's where I was like, I got to figure this out on my own. And so I went through the process of really diving into that. And I went to every conference I could find that talked about marketing and I hired mentors and stuff. And I think all in on that, I was about $90,000 on just paying people to teach me. And because I always looked at that as like, that's the critical thing. When I look back at everything that I've done, the best decisions I ever made was to pay somebody who was ahead of me so I could get to where they were faster than I could on my own. Mm. So I paid all these mentors, I went to all this stuff and I figured it out. But I figured it out a little bit too late. I figured it out at a stage where participation in the sport went from 8 million people a year doing it down to 2 million people a year doing it. And so like, it was just like this thing where it was like, man, the timing of it was just off. Yeah. Because so what made the participation go down? Do you know? Um, you know, I, I think a number of things. Like it's all anecdotal. But oh, okay. um, what I understand was that or the, the anecdotal part of it is that most people look at it as a one and done. Hey, I'm going to go do oh. one of these races. Hey, check that off my bucket list. I'm good. The okay. second thing was a guy got paralyzed at a Spartan race um, because he decided to dive into a puddle. Uh, like they've got these water obstacles that mm-hmm. said no diving. And the thing was like a foot deep and he got paralyzed. And so I think people recognize that the death waiver you sign actually means something. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, uh, that thing, that's that it, like I figured out the messaging right at the time participation sunk. And there was nothing that I could do about it. Um, it yeah. took me two years to get the first product to market because lead times are so long and then it's on the water shipping for six months and all this. Um, And so by the time I figured it out, participation started to go down. And then March of 2020, they decided to shut down everything. And I was like, okay, I've got all this inventory left. And so I just ended up liquidating the inventory I have. Um, and you know, that was a massive lesson in humility because I thought everything that I touched would turn to gold because up to that point it had, Yeah, I needed, God needed to tell me like, no, no, that's not, you don't get that. 
you need to find humility. And that's exactly where I started the path of it. And it's still a path. Like there's, you know, it's a constant, it's a constant battle every day um, to remove ego from any of the decision-making process or any of the results or anything like that. Um, and it, yeah, that's, that's just an ongoing, ongoing fight that happens. I think, you know, for me, cause I recognize it, but it happens for everybody, even if they don't. So yeah, absolutely. that's that. So all in on that business was, a $376,000 loss on that particular wow. business, which wasn't from investors. That was like from me. And you can imagine, oh you can imagine these conversations with my wife in the kitchen going like, Hey, um, I'm going to spend more money on this thing. And she's like, you're going to what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to spend another hundred, uh, on this. And you know, uh, bless her. She's awesome. She consistently just believed. And she was like, you're going to get what you need to get out of this. Going to figure it out. And that's the way that it goes. And so that led me to my biggest successes, which was figuring out the obsession with marketing, understanding mm. more about B2B sales and B2C sales, getting to the awesome. state where we did, you know, everything that we did after that and understanding how to create these offers that are so good that people feel stupid for saying no. So that it, it what appeared to be a failure was, um, was a failure that led to a success. Yeah. And that's what I mean, you know, like at the beginning when it's like on the outside, people would probably see just this like steady incline, but it doesn't ever go like that for anybody. You know, there's nobody that's like that just starts and 10 months later is making $5 million a year. It doesn't work that way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's cool to hear um, you explain those stories because I remember when we first sat down and I said, Oh, like I have a podcast called unorganized and lost. You're like, I'm not unorganized and lost. And it's cool to hear your story. Cause in a sense, that's kind of what unorganized and lost is about. It's not supposed to be a bad thing. It's supposed to be something that everyone goes through and everyone has failures. But the cool thing is, is that you don't even see it that way. You just keep going forward. You're like, I don't know. I just have to keep going. Like there's no other option. I'm just accepting this and moving forward and figuring out what we can learn from it. And even understanding about your failure and then realizing, well, look at all the things, all the successes I got from it and all the things you learned from it, which I think is amazing. Cause I think there's, there's something to be said about not taking a lot of time to have a pity party and really just focusing on, okay, what can we do now? Cause that's over. Like we've, that's the problem. And now we need to fix it and move forward from it. So it's really fascinating that that's the way you think and handle everything. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it is because I think that it's like, I read something once and I forget who said it, but it was don't stop three feet short. Hmm. The idea is that you're digging and you're digging and you're digging and you're trying to figure it out. And people give up and they walk back even though they were three feet away from getting what they wanted. And that has always been, not always, that's not correct. About seven, eight years ago when I started that, that, um, that apparel business, um, which was, you know, an offshoot business, um, that is when my mentality turned into like, we are going to exhaust all possible options. And when we think that we're out of options, we're going to do our best to try to find another option and push yeah. forward on that. That's amazing. So with, um, 
your business going kind of you having to liquidate all your assets and everything what was the next step for you so is that when you started doing the all the different business optimization and everything for all the different businesses or were you already no, doing that, that wasn't, also that wasn't so there was still i mean there was more failure to come that helped me do it. So thank God I was good at doing the other businesses um, because these new ones, which really were a result of me looking for a higher level of fulfillment. Because what okay. happens is, is that after a while you, you get in a groove with whatever business you're in and you need to have a different level of fulfillment, which when you ask, why do I, why do I feel called to help other businesses is because that increases my feeling of fulfillment when I see other people that I've had the, you know, the, the good grace of interacting with have a different level of success than they thought was possible for what their company is, um, is something that really, really drove that, that entire thing. So, um, the next thing that I tried, man, the next thing that I tried right after that, it started to be in the online mentoring space. So you know how you get a shitload of ads on Facebook and Instagram from like coach this, coach that, whatever. So I get this great idea, right? So um, this was after I'd learned a bunch about marketing. I'm meditating one day and I hear voices sometimes when I meditate. And it's not like I'm schizophrenic. I just hear voices <laughs> when I meditate. And uh, the thing says, you should be a parenting coach. And I'm in my mind fighting with the voice that's in my head while I'm meditating going like, of all things, I do not have that on lockdown. <laughs> Like at the time I had a seven-year-old and a four-year-old that both drove me absolutely insane. I couldn't figure <laughs> out how to get them what to do anything I wanted them to do without yelling at them. And so I'm like, okay, just like the clothing business, this is gonna be great, let's just go. Like, this is a great idea. So I decided to put together all these videos. I put together all these videos that, cause I'd known how to, I understood how to market and uh, when I first got out of college, I was a television news reporter, so I knew how to talk into a camera, which apparently is a skill because when I talk into a camera, people are like, oh, dude, you look, talk into a camera really well. I'm like, well, I've done it a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in any event, so I'm like, so I put these videos together and I put together this entire sales funnel. And it's like, I put together this video that when I show it to my wife's friends, cause it, the audience for this was uh, mothers and fathers of children that were uh, under 10 years old. Cause that's what I experienced. Okay. Um, like when I show them the video that's on the landing page of the website, I got most of them to cry because it was just like, like I knew how to put together video. So yeah. I do this, I put together this video, this video is awesome. And I start pushing ads to this video and it's like, you know, nothing at the time I'm running like maybe like a thousand dollars a month on ads and I start to get some leads. And then I get on the phone with them and I can't close them. I can't close them to save my life. Now here's the thing with that is that didn't matter what I said, didn't matter what framework I use looking back on it now. At the time, mm -hmm. I was just frustrated. I couldn't figure it out. I'm like pissed off all the time. Um, and my wife still is sitting there going like, keep going, honey, you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so, I, uh, so I'm just like the whole time, I couldn't figure out what the deal was. But the reality of it was looking back on it is that the framework doesn't matter. You could execute flawlessly. Energetically, I was off. They knew I was lying. Oh. And it wasn't like I was intentionally lying about what I had done because the yeah. call wasn't about me. Yeah. They could just tell that shit wasn't going to work because it was the offer. Because you didn't believe to, it. <laughs> what, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It was a, how to get your kids 
to listen to you without yelling. Then I'm like, that's all I do. So apparently that's not the way that this whole thing works. So I screwed that one up. I always look at like all these different failures, like I'm picking up these blocks and I'm setting these blocks down and I put the blocks on top of each other. And then I climb on the last block because I'm looking to see more like what I can take from the previous experience that didn't work, that got me to the experience that works. Mm -hmm. And it gets the next thing. Cause it's like, you could use that shit as an anchor to weigh you down and not let you go forward. Or you could use it as a ladder. And so I've just chosen to use it as a ladder. And so figuring out, okay, that didn't work. So why didn't that really work? One is it wasn't believable. Two, I was always selling to the woman who would then go ask her husband if he wanted to do it. And he's like, nah, man, kids are your job. I'm cool. Right. So yeah. why would we spend this money on doing this? So then what I started doing was I started thinking like, well, what is it that I really do have on lockdown? Like, what do I have on like that? I got dialed in that people would see as attainable, therefore would become aspirational. And that's something in the coaching space that um, I think I'll, when I see ads, a lot of the challenge that I'm assuming most of these people have is that they create a persona that is unattainable. It's like perfect. Mm. And so therefore it becomes unaspirational because people will see it and be like, dude, there's no way I could get that. It's not going to happen. So yeah. I thought about like, what is it that I have on lockdown? So I came to this realization that it was really four things where lockdown isn't necessarily the right term it's ahead of a majority of the people that would be the target for this audience. So mm -hmm. I was going after married businessmen with children because that's who I was. And I, my, it was about getting them uh, from a perspective of body where it's like, we're going to be more fit than we are right now. Cause I've done that since I was 15 years old. And my sister who's four years older than me told me girls were never going to like me if I had skinny arms. And so I've been working out since then. The second piece. Horn siblings of, great. Yeah, they're great. Then the second piece of it was being. So uh, spirituality, connection with God, confidence in yourself. Those, I'm ahead of some people on that. Balance. I'm ahead of some people on that. I love my wife. We are together. And this is all great, right? We have this, this, this thing that a lot of people don't. Because I didn't ever realize this, but most marriages last like three years. And at wow. the time I was starting this, we were 12 years in and we still like each other. Like we go on dates twice a week. Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool. I got that. And then despite the two previous fuck ups, I'd done pretty well in business. Right. And yeah. I, yeah, I had one that, um, or I still have it the today, but I had one that, um, operates in California, Nevada, and Texas. It's a real estate company. And then I had the other one, uh, that we exited, which was like a software play. Um, so I've done pretty well in that. So what was unique about that was that I had these four different domains of my life working because most of the offers I saw was come to me and be more fit or come to me and make more money or come to me and we'll fix your relationship. And so I went out into the marketplace again and I put together more videos because that was how I would best communicate. 
the process mm -hmm. of persuasion. I always wanted to get people on the call that were already converted. I didn't want to sell the interested. I wanted to close the converted. So most of the sale happened prior to getting on the call with the people who got on the calls with me. And in that, I was selling a product that was really a guided process of self-discovery because the first, the very first iteration of that product was, I'm going to go tell you what to do. If you want to have these four areas of your life working the best they possibly can, this is what I'm, this is what you need to go do. You do this, this yeah. day, this, 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 this next day. And everybody crashed and burned that was in the program. And it was my fault because I was setting an impossible standard. Mm. Do this, do this, do this. So yeah. it morphed into this thing where it was discovery of them, of themselves through a pen. And I would give them questions, set them up with, we had this, we had every day, we had a mission, which was watching a 10 to 12 minute video. Then we had an evolution, which was a journaling process. And then you had to come back at night and we had this, um, we had the software system set up where we all shared video and stuff. And you had to come back and share what your biggest revelations or insights were from the evolution that you went on. And so I went through this process and we called it um, winning impossible games, where we'd set up and get more results in 12 months than most people get in three years. So we move oh. our lives forward at that level. And so I was selling that and selling that and selling that. And that was successful. What I recognized in that was two things. One was that people buy from a place where you are an absolute authority and they know that you've done this shit. The second piece of the revelation that I had was what the real result was and that I was actually putting one offer before the actual offer that should have been there. So I recognized in this program that most of the time people wanted to talk about business because if you ask people, raise your hand if you want to fix your fucked up marriage, people are like, no, 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 no. I don't have a fucked up marriage. Mine's totally cool, even though it's a disaster, oh, right? Yeah. You ask people, hey, do you want to stop being fat? And they're like, well, kind of, but as long as I don't have to sweat. Like, can you do it without any pain? And I can still eat pizza like four days a week. If I could do that, I'm in. You ask people, raise your hand if you want to make more money. And everybody's like, I'm all in. Give me both hands. Like, I want this, right? Yeah. So then what I started recognizing was that most of the conversations in that program were surrounding business. And then I started watching the data and collecting it from the clients that were in that program. And I realized that what was happening for them was that they were increasing across the board, revenue, profits, and cash. And our averages in this worked out to take the fractions off of it, 10% increase in revenue, 20% increase in profit, and a 30% increase in cash. And this was in a six months timeline. And this is averaged across the board from anywhere like the smallest companies that because it was all entrepreneurs, guys in that the smallest company was about $500,000 a year, biggest company was $10 million a year in that, and they would all consistently have the same thing. So it was a scaling model. And that's when I made the connection because that program was really the message of it was about selling self-discipline, which in hindsight, I have no idea how anybody bought any of that because discipline sounds awful. It sounds like kale yeah. smoothies and burpees. Um, and so you don't want to do it. So anyway, in this, it's like you marry 
the tactical strategic side of what I had learned in my other businesses and my other successes and my other failures with discipline itself. So you'd actually do what I was showing you how to do and doing with you. Then we had something. So that really led me to this revelation of, okay, so what needs to happen first is the offer that goes out into the marketplace is business focused, knowing that people will raise their hands all in, help me make more money. And yes, that's what I want. And so now what the iteration is, is the offer is to come in and work with the company increase revenue, profits, and cash. Typically the 10%, 20%, 30% is what we guarantee in the contracts. But sometimes the company is more interested in profit than they are in revenue because they got enough lead gen right now. They simply want to be more efficient in what they have. Okay, cool. That's what we do. So now how it works is the first six months, work with the company, get the financial results. Then for the founder, the upsell on the initial offer is to work with them personally to get those four core domains on point. So I put the second offer in front of it, recognizing that it's much easier for them to build a very, very deep level of trust. Because when we talk about the other areas of your life, when we talk about body and we talk about uh, being and we talk about balance, those ones require a really deep level of trust from your prospect because now they're sharing really intimate details of their life with you and they have to trust that you've figured some things out that you can help them with and that's that's how it stands today so it was a um really it's it's more like it's kind of geeky because all i really did was i looked at the data and the data told me what the marketplace wanted from from me right now. And because I was able to see what the marketplace wanted from me right now, that's where I started putting out these types of offers and it just took fire. That's amazing. So once you realize that you were focusing more on the business side, it seems like you are so passionate about the other parts of the like pieces of the puzzle. Do you first charge for just business or do you just slide in all that in the other information to kind of help them build the rest of their like kind of balance of life? How does that all work? No. So it's all business first and business is a charge and there's a guarantee. Um, so that's how that works. And then you pay for that. Then you pay more Got for it. Okay. the personal stuff because it's called, it's called an upsell. So yeah, the yeah. idea the idea is, is that you never want to run out of stuff for people to buy until mm. they are completely taken care of and they've got it all on their own and they can handle it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's how it works. That's exciting. I think it's so cool to hear your story and kind of where you've been and how you're going with it. And so what's kind of your next thing? Have you, have you been thinking about what's next or what business you want to focus on next? Well, so, I mean, it's going to be the consulting, but it's about where I go next in the consulting. And Mm -hmm. so where I'm going to go next in the consulting is going to be either a royalty or an equity play. So in addition to the consulting fee that you pay, there will be a royalty or a, um, a, a equity share in the company, depending on where they are in their trajectory. 
And the idea behind that is I really, what I want to find is I want to find a group of people that want to work for the next five to eight years and just be done. Yeah. And just work our asses off for that time and get them all massive exits and then just be done. And I think about the joy and the fulfillment that comes through that. Um, and it's something that I, I visualize when I meditate. I visualize hearing those phone calls from people and just going like this. We did it. We did it. So that's that's what's next is a different comp plan or a different fee structure on the existing offer because there's no reason to change this offer right now because you know after seven years well six years um i've I've got an offer that's so good people feel stupid for saying no yeah absolutely. which is what i was working on the entire time yeah because i didn't like getting told no on sales calls i wanted them to feel bad if they said no uh, (laughs) without me making them feel bad you know yeah absolutely Have you thought about the type of companies that you want to work with or do you have an idea of what industry you kind of want to get into? Yeah. So when it cut, like that was actually a big struggle for me about a year ago, figuring out the niche. Cause I was like, mm. man, there's gotta be this, this niche. Cause everywhere I'd looked at, it's like, Hey, we've really got to get down to this niche. What is it that we serve? Cause that's where you, that's where all the riches are is down inside the niches. And I was looking at industry and going like, well, is it this industry? Is that industry? How can I help with this model? What's going on with that? What do I know about it? And what I ended up coming to was a price niche. So it's gross revenue. So the companies that I do this for right now are between 3 million and 6 million in top line revenue. And that's where we see the most fire because what happens at a company at that stage is they're still kind of in their like early adolescence. They haven't really figured it out yet. They don't have a chief marketing officer. They typically don't have a chief operating officer. And I'll step in and serve as fractional on both of those things to help take them from six to nine. And we run with it that way, right? One of the things that, like one of the models that I'm working on right now is a way where the existing revenue of a company can become their profit within four years. So if a company does a million dollars this year, within four years, their profit will be a million dollars. That one's not done yet, um, but that is the model that I'm working on for companies inside of this, which is where the equity play comes in. It's a new model inside of the same type of business. That makes sense. Well, and I feel like that's helpful for businesses also, because then they can work with you longer and have, instead of having that panic of, Oh, we only have a year with this guy. And I don't know if we want to put out more money to work with them when, if they're, if you're just part of the company, then that's a huge asset for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. So that's very exciting. Yeah. So that's where it goes. But yeah, the niche is, is three to 6 million. And typically it's service-based businesses. Because when it's a physical products business, part of the challenge, especially right now, comes down to the supply chain. There's just mm-hmm. not availability of raw materials for people to build at the scale that we can build it. Because yeah. let's say I come in and I fix your marketing messages and now we get flooded with leads and your sales are good because we've worked on the sales framework that gets it and yeah. we can't fulfill. It doesn't work. 
So yeah. that's why I've been dealing more with service-based businesses because service-based businesses really aren't limited in what they can expand to. Most of them would tell you at the start that they're limited to the people that they can hire in their region, but it is not the case. Every single time we've been able to break through that barrier by looking at different hiring strategies and different physical locations of the employees. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be a huge difference now that COVID kind of changed the game about having people in one location and having people be more remote than they ever used to be. Yeah, it became perfectly acceptable to have a global workforce for a local business. Yeah, that's incredible. But a lot of people don't, they don't, what I'm finding is that a lot of people don't one understand that, that they can Mm -hmm. do that and that their customers aren't going to be upset with them at all Two, if they do understand that they don't know how to pull it off, like how to find the people that are in these, these different areas of the globe that they can bring in that are reliable, that speak English better than we do. That's a part of it that I found easy. I've been outsourcing since 2012. Wow. to different countries and just from a measure of profitability it makes sense There's yeah no reason not to that's amazing so what's your advice for people that are looking for outsourcing like that well i mean if you're looking for outsourcing you'd be looking at the things that are mostly um they can't quite be automated but they don't require critical thinking skills either so what i mm. first outsourced was the bookkeeping positions And this happened because I was always intimidated by income statements, balance sheets and everything up to that point. And uh, I I remember I had a bookkeeper leave and I said, hey, before you go, can you show me your job? Like, I I don't know what you do. And so I sit with this guy for half a day and I'm just sitting back and I look at him after he's finished this and I go, you do data entry. And he's like, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. And so I asked him a bunch of questions to the point where he was like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it's just data entry. And so I was like, boom, your job's going to India. So <laughs> I sent that over and that's, that's what to do. You look for the things that don't require critical thinking, but it's going to require an investigation for you mm. to be able to, to yeah. figure out what doesn't require critical thinking. Interesting. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you have for our audience on either ways that they can get out of feeling unorganized and lost, or I guess what a good advice for people starting a business maybe? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the same advice kind of goes for both categories that you just shared with me. So Mm -hmm. the deal with it is, is everybody is looking for the fast way. And it's part of how we've been conditioned to think through the way that modern marketing works. It's get this really cool result without this thing that you don't want. It's like when you're in the grocery store and you see men's health on the uh, little checkout aisle thing, (laughs) there's always some headline on there that says, get six pack abs, but don't give up pizza. It's like, that's total bullshit. It doesn't work (laughs) that way. You don't get to eat pizza at all when you have six pack abs. It doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, So Everybody's looking for getting the really cool thing without sacrificing anything that they want. Recognize that you must sacrifice. It's not, it's not an option. Yeah. Right. So pain is a requirement. Suffering is optional. Choose to suffer. Don't choose to suffer. That's up to you. You're going to have to be able to reframe every failure that you have and turn it into a lesson. 
That's wow. really such like that's a massive thing because yeah. like we all experience failure and it, it it does wear us down. Like it wore me down all the years fighting in the apparel industry um, and then getting told no, 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 no. When I first started doing any sort of like consulting type of offer in that parent coaching thing I was talking about. Um, and if I couldn't have reframed all those losses into lessons, I'm sure that my own mentality would not have allowed me to continue pushing on. So know that if you're starting a company, know that it's supposed to be hard. Like you're, it's supposed to be, if you're yeah. not facing resistance, you're not in the right market. Yeah. And because knowing it's supposed to be hard going in, it reframes your expectations about the results you're going to get. You've got to be willing to grind it out. There is, there, there's no shortcut. Like yeah, I can't absolutely. give you some advice that says like, do this and, and you'll be able to. It's like, I've, I've had people ask me in forums like this before, like, well, you know, like, yeah, you've been at it for 20 years, but like, can you share something that like, if our listeners don't want to wait that long uh, and they want, they want the results like then. And I'm like, you can't, Yeah, you can't. It, it's, it's bullshit to think that anybody's got any magic that says we're going to go this far, this fast when they have it like they're relying on you to do something entirely new for yourself. Absolutely. So that's, that's it. It's, it's hard. <laughs> I so love your that. mission, your job, your job is to not look towards the, the end point that you want to go to. Your job is to figure out however you need to figure it out a way to enjoy all the ups and downs that happen along the way. I love that. Thank you so much. I think that is all amazing advice. I think it's something that people may not want to hear sometimes, but also need to hear because there is a lot of pain. But again, like you said, choosing not to suffer through it is great advice. I love that. Good. Good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think that you brought so much knowledge and so much incredible insight and even hearing your story is so amazing. Yeah. We're here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Thank you, Brent. All right. Thank you. <laughs>